The Athletic. Just when you think you've said all you can about Chelsea in one week, they decide to appoint Frank Lampard as their new head coach on an interim basis. As well as Lampard, you've got Julian Nagelsmann, Richie Pochettino, Antonio Conte and Luis Enrique all out of work and eyeing up top jobs. But what about the manager who has won trophies and coached in the Champions League and was one Steven Gerrard slip away from winning the Premier League title? Lampard is back in, but why isn't Brendan Rodgers considered an option by the big clubs? I'm Ian Irving and this is the Athletic Football Podcast. Okay, the breaking news is that Frank Lampard has accepted an offer to manage Chelsea until the end of the season. We had been reporting, we believed he would be stepping in to take interim charge. Um, we understand that nothing's been discussed about Lampard staying beyond the summer. I watched the game last night and I saw him in the crowd and he looked like a guy that hadn't just gone there for a few drinks and a bit of a jolly up. He watched it in a very studious way and I started to think, well, maybe that might be an opportunity that they look at Frank as, a, as an option. He's got unfinished business, obviously, at, at Chelsea. Okay, joining us for this one then is the Athletics' Ollie Kay, Stu James and our Leicester correspondent Rob Tanner as well. Gents, we did have a nice show planned today about Brendan Rodgers, but another day, another Chelsea story. So we have to start with the news of Lampard returning to Stamford Bridge as interim head coach. David Ornstein broke the news on the Athletic last night, so let's hear from him now with the details on exactly how this came about. They've come to the point where, at the moment I record this, Chelsea are actually close to appointing Lampard as interim head coach until the end of the season. Now, we don't know more about who might come with him. Reports are already suggesting the likes of Ashley Cole, John Terry. Let's see what happens on that front. Let's also see what happens with Bruno and his fellow staff, because initially... The word coming out of Chelsea was that they would be staying on until at least the end of the season, whatever happens in terms of permanent appointments or interim. But I guess we better watch this space on that one because it will largely depend on whether Frank Lampard wants them there, whether the club hierarchy want them there, whether they want to stay there. In the meantime, this gives Chelsea time to get on with that exhaustive process that we spoke about. And there have been reports that Chelsea intend to make an immediate permanent appointment and Julian Nagelsmann's coming in or Luis Enrique will be taking the post. Maurizio Pochettino. But we've been told from the start that this is less likely to take hours and days, more like days to weeks. And now with Lampard set to come in, Chelsea have those weeks to get this decision right. Ollie, I'll come to you first. I saw the tweet last night from yourself about this being actually the first sensible thing that the new Chelsea owners have done. That's quite a statement, really. What, that it's sensible or that it's the first sensible thing to do? Um, <laughs> both, it, both in a well, way, yeah. I mean, I had, I had, it's, it provoked a lot of disagreement, my tweet. It's, uh, that wasn't the intention. I, I, I was just, this is a, a board that has spent, £600 million, pretty terribly, in my opinion, without addressing key areas of the team. You know, they sacked Tuchel two weeks into the season without really without giving him a chance I think I think part of the reason why they sacked him was that he was he had concerns about the, their transfer policy their recruitment approach and he was right to they give Potter a five year contract vast expense getting him out of Chelsea 
they sack him within whatever it is, six months, seven months. They've done nothing sensible the whole time. This is just one thing which, you know, given that they've decided to get rid of Potter, allows them to approach other managers very publicly, and it will be very publicly because it's Todd Bowley and he seems to thrive on the doing things um, very publicly, and just gives them a bit of time and breathing space. It's nine, it's nine games in the Premier League. It's probably two in the Champions League. Nobody's expecting them to drop any lower than 11th in the Premier League. Nobody's expecting them to get any further in the Champions League. I don't see a downside to it. It's, it's, it's risk-free. It's an interim appointment. I think people need to um, stop losing their hair about it. Stu, do you agree? Yeah, I do get Ollie's point. It is a bizarre story in, in so many ways. When the camera panned to him, I think I've seen a few journalists tweeting, it was one of those occasions, weirdly, when the story was right in front of everyone and we didn't really <laughs> see it, any of us, uh, which maybe says little about my new sense. But um, Ollie's point is right, I think. Realistically, Chelsea, this could come back to haunt me. They've got no chance of winning the Champions League in my eyes. They're going nowhere in the league. They're not going to get into the top four. So it is just a case of buying time through to the end of the season, allowing them now to sound out all the candidates that are out there and not rush into making another mistake. And I think they've made an awful lot of mistakes so far during their time uh, since the takeover. I agree with Ollie. I think the recruitment of players has been really scattergun. I don't think the players they signed in the summer were particularly good. And, and thereafter, it's been um, a mess in January as well. Lampard's going to have a job on his hands, inheriting all that. Uh, you look back and think of his time before there. One of the big issues then was how he was managing the players who weren't playing. Well, there's an awful lot of them at Chelsea at the minute who <laughs> aren't playing. It's got a bit harder. Yeah. It's got a bit harder, that. That said, he's only doing it on a short-term basis. It's only over the next you know, six weeks or so. So, yeah, I think Ollie's right. We shouldn't get too swept along with it. You can talk about he's only recently sat by Everton. He was failed at Chelsea before. But all this is is a stopgap appointment. I don't see it going any further. I don't think anything Lampard does here is going to change what happens in terms of what Chelsea choose to do with their manager next season. We're not in Ole Gunnar Solskjaer territory here in my eyes. No, we'll come on to Solskjaer because there are some sort of similarities there, certainly. Rob, from your perspective, we've talked about the decision from, from the Chelsea angle. What about Lampard's angle? Is this not a bit of a climb down for him considering he's been a permanent Chelsea manager in the past? He's been a permanent Premier League manager in the past as well or is this just something that he needed to do to try and get back to a level and, and maybe be a, a Solskjaer? It's an opportunity and in fact it's a free hit to get back in because obviously his reputation has taken a hit with how it went the first time at Chelsea. Not a lot's expected of him now as the guys have just mentioned. Nobody's really expecting a hell of a lot. They're not expecting Champions League victory and, and so forth. So he can go in there, steady the ship, get the fans on his side and, and the team side and see where it takes him and, and whether that opens doors for him in the future at, at other clubs as well. So it was a bit of a no-brainer for him as well. So no chance, Stu, that he gets this job on a permanent basis because he impresses so much as interim. No, I really can't see that. Even if Chelsea won the Champions League... I just wouldn't see them going down that path. I think it makes really? no sense. You know, I, I don't, it makes no sense to get the whole, you know, what Frank at the wheel, the Ollie at the wheel one, you know, <laughs> throw in the contract, let him write his own numbers and all that stuff. You know, it's just, it's, it's for me, um, one of the, the dangers of football and we're part of it in the media at times of trying to read too much into very little. 
And I don't see Frank Lampard as a long-term solution here for Chelsea. I think it just is, you know, like we've said, a stopgap to tie them through. And yeah, I think they'll obviously then now have the opportunity to, to look at the people they want in the longer term. If it is longer term, though, what does longer term even mean? I mean, we were led to believe that was the case with um, with Graham Potter, obviously. And, uh, you know, Javi Garcia made some interesting comments this week about how, you know, life mirrors football, football mirrors life now, where everyone wants things immediately. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see where it goes. But... I, I think Frank Lampard will be looking for another job in the summer. The interesting thing for him is whether he can use this now as a platform to try and, you know, as, as Rob sort of alluded to, repair his own reputation and give him a chance of getting a better job in the future. But I don't think that's going to be at Stamford Bridge next season. Ollie, the other factor with Lampard is that, OK, the experience at, at Everton wasn't good for him overall. He didn't come out of that job with his reputation enhanced. But surely the experience of, of how it went for him there will have strengthened him, won't it? He could actually be a better manager for the for the experiences that he's had in the Premier League and maybe this is a chance for him to show it. Well, I mean, a lot of the people replying to me on Twitter were saying, look, he failed at Everton, he failed at Chelsea. His time at Chelsea, he was he was had a transfer embargo, got them into the Champions League, managed to develop some of the young players. I'd say the first season succeeded, right? Second season was going pretty well. Then it all went pear-shaped in about December. They were top of the league in early December and then they had six, seven weeks. You could call it loss of the dressing room, whatever, and things went pear-shaped and he got sacked. So people only really remember how it ended. And I think it's the same with Chelsea, he, uh, with Everton. He kept them up. I know people say, well, he, he they weren't in the relegation zone when they appointed him, but they'd look... I think they'd won one game in 14 or one game in 12, something like that. They were sinking like a stone under Benitez, having started the season well. And he kept them up with a with a fantastic last sort of six, seven, eight games when they really did look doomed. So in terms, I mean, what was he hired to do at Everton? Keep them up that season. And he couldn't do the next part, despite, the you know, this season actually started all right as well. So you really, you know, we say he failed or, he, you know, it didn't go well. It was the last sort of month or two, which is, you judge any manage, managerial tenure by its final month or two, Generally, they're not very good. There's no evidence to say he, he he's a Pep Guardiola, he's a Jurgen Klopp, he's you know that th- he's that good a manager. But I don't think an interim appointment at, Ch- at Chelsea is in any way egregious that, that, that he's got that kind of appointment. I, I think it's I think it's it's, it's a ship steadying job, and it's it's also I think really importantly it, it's helpful for the club. PR-wise, when they've got this limbo period and they've got, you know, a, a very popular, much-loved ex-player who, to my mind, didn't do a bad job when he was manager before. So it, it's, it's. I'm sure he will have a point to prove. But I also think his time at Everton wasn't a complete write-off. I mean, if, if it had been a complete write-off, they would be in the Championship, basically. And he deserves some credit, which he doesn't get, for, for keeping them up. Rob, the other factor is that Premier League managers just seem more disposable than ever don't they I mean what what we've seen this season and we'll talk obviously about Brendan Rodgers later on in in the show speaks to the idea that everyone's failing in some ways because you know there's what's there been 13 managerial changes this season at 11 different clubs and what what chance that Lampard actually goes into Chelsea and and gets the bounce that all these clubs seem to be be looking for I'll mention Ole Gunnar Solskjaer for the last time on this podcast but look at what he did at Manchester United in those first 10 games or so the win at PSG you know if Lampard does something similar against Real Madrid job done I think the expectations are so high now that unless you're challenging for the title and challenging for Champions League and I don't just mean the big six I mean clubs like Leicester as well unless you're doing that you're deemed as being a failure at the moment you know at mid-table obscurity now I mean we don't have a mid-table now it's either you're in the relegation <laughs> scrap or you're fighting for Champions League That's the wonder so. of this season isn't it yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it is. So it, it's just been chaotic 
this season. It's been rather unique, I'd say, as well. So, yeah, he's got a great opportunity if he does. As I said, there's no expectation on him at the moment, which is rather unusual. He can just go in, steady the ship, have a, a free hit at it and, and, and see where it takes him. And who knows if he does a good job and he's, uh, he's free in the summer. And a club like Leicester, who are looking for a manager, are looking at uh, their options, which I believe they, they want to do, hold off until the summer. He could be on the list. Yeah, in a way, it's an audition for another job, if not Chelsea, isn't it? Yeah. Like you say, yeah, an interesting point. Uh, la- last point on this, Stu. Um, what issues is Lampard stepping back into then? Because he wasn't the permanent Chelsea manager that long ago. Um, there'll be a lot of players who are still there from his, his time in charge originally. Who are the faces that he won't be necessarily pleased to see again? Or maybe the, the faces who won't be pleased to see or him vice as versa. well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I think Kepa springs to, springs to mind, doesn't he? Because there were clearly issues before he he didn't believe in him as goalkeeper. He wanted to replace him. That caused uh, friction with the club's hierarchy and he was sort of told to try and improve Kepa. He left him out of big games. Obviously, uh, Willie Caballero came in and played ahead of him. So, yeah, that would be an interesting first conversation if he sort of pulls him into the office and says, look, it's a clean slate, fresh start and all the usual uh, cliched stuff. I guess, again, the thing coming back to what we talked about before is the fact that Kepa knows it's only to the end of the season, you know, likely anyway. But yeah, I think those that, that that's the one that stands out for me. But I think just more generally... And, and it isn't just because he's been there before. I think it's for anyone. I think it applied to Potter. It's just so hardy and to think, how do you handle that number of first team players in terms of, I mean, normally you try and have a chat with each of them over the first sort of few days. Well, crikey, that would take you, you'd be in there 24 hours, wouldn't you, at Cobham trying to do that. Even putting on training sessions, you know, in the piece the other day, it was uh, that we did reflecting on, on how it all unraveled, you know, the idea of 11 v 11 game going on on one pitch and 9 v 9 game going on on another. It's crazy, isn't it? It is crazy. And it's, it's unmanageable that. So, there has to be some realism around all that. But yeah, the, the, the Kepa situation will obviously be interesting. He's the number one at the minute and uh, you don't see that changing. But yeah, there might be a little bit of friction there, I guess. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Okay, well, I'm sure we'll return to Frank Lampard and Chelsea in even more detail next week. But let's turn our attentions then as planned to Brendan Rodgers. Rob, it didn't end well for him. There's no doubt about that at Leicester. But the wider body of work at the King Power Stadium, why do you think he isn't a name that is immediately being linked with the the top jobs like he once was. Well, when he came to Leicester four years ago, he was still tainted a little bit with a reputation and he struggled to shake that off. I mean, I think this is going back to his his Liverpool days, um, whether it's fair or not. You know, when those sort of things are attached to you, it can be difficult. So, and I think that's that's probably why, I mean, the way the things uh, ended at at Liverpool, how things now have ended at Leicester, the the perception that it's a three-year cycle manager, that he can't change approach when it needs adapting. Those sort of things are hard to shake off. I think that's probably why you know he's he's been sort of mentioned mutely about some of these other jobs, but I think fundamentally, no, I don't think many of the big clubs will be looking at him at the moment. Why do you think that is, Ali? You've you've covered him closely for a number of years, and I, mm. I remember seeing you around a lot when he was at Anfield. Um, yeah, yeah. What do you sort of make of of Brendan and the development of of, of him as a Premier League manager and, and a top coach over the course of the last decade or so? Well. 
I think all the evidence is that is that he's an extremely good coach. And if the idea is that, well, he starts well, but it goes stale after two or three years, well, that's that's better better than a lot of managers. That's you know, <laughs> and, and in a time when life expectancies of, of managers or shelf lives are getting shorter and shorter, we're seeing more, more and more turmoil. He's somebody that, if you judge him purely on the final season at Liverpool, which was pretty terrible, ending in that 6-1 or six one defeat at Stoke, you judge him on you know the final 18 months at Leicester cuz to me it went it, it went it went stale it's drifted you know, hasn't it yeah well belong it feels like that's what people judge him on and they they dismiss what he did at Celtic even though the statistics are, are blindingly good in terms of how many how few points and how few few points they dropped and how how you know winning all the domestic trophies they even disregard what he did at Swansea which was brilliant but if you look at if you look at the positives of what he did in in the first couple of years in all of those jobs it's brilliant it, it's it's getting Swansea promoted getting him into mid-table getting Liverpool turning Liverpool from you know the worst Liverpool team in a long long time taking them so close to the league title people say oh well he didn't win the league title well no nobody expected that team to win the league title nobody expected him to challenge, to challenge. people will say he didn't get Leicester into the Champions League well nobody expected him to he got he got them into position where they were in the top four and looked like you know look times looked like challenging for the title briefly and people damn him for not not finishing the job well it's pretty hard to finish top four with with Leicester and they generally finished very close not only to top four but close to third they were you know over a, over a period of time they were one of the sort of top five teams in the Premier League without anything like the budget to, to match that and I think it's large I mean he I think I think he needed a new challenge probably after they won the won the FA Cup I think had some had Man United been looking that that summer, rather than keeping hold of Solskjaer, I think it's his name was frequently his name frequently filtered out at that time as, as somebody who who would be in their thoughts. But, but then you know your 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 reputation needs to be high at a time when those jobs come up. Otherwise, you know you're just forgotten again. And I think if those you know those big jobs would come up, maybe Spurs Spurs has come up this summer, Chelsea's come up, and I I can't see him getting near them because people will only really remember the last eighteen months, or they'll have that as a big black mark against him. When I think. Most of his work over the last 10, 12, 13 years shows him to be somebody who's very good at his job. Yeah, Rob, Ollie mentioned there about the the flirtation with the with Champions League qualification. It was more than that, actually. I think across those two seasons, 1920 and 2021, Leicester City actually spent more time in the top four places during the course of those two seasons than, than any other team and ended up missing out by a fraction on both occasions. Obviously, he's won the FA Cup, like we've mentioned as well. Would would Champions League qualification in either of those years change things? Why do you think he's not been able to sort of continue the, the progress and the push that he, he was clearly making with nearly making the top four and, and winning a trophy? Well, there's a number of factors. I mean, Champions League qualification would have certainly hurt helped because it would have massively boosted the revenue. Expectation grew because of this, the early success. And as a, as a result, the club started to invest more in better contracts. They're paying new signings, better wages. Their re- wages to revenue ratio shot up from 65% to 85%, which is bordering on FFP, which was causing the problems last summer in terms of the transfer market. COVID hit and that really did affect Leicester probably more than any other club because of their 
ownership structure, the fact that they are so reliant on their owners to be their safety net and their owners uh, and their company, King Power International, were decimated by the end of the tourism uh, trade for such a long period during the pandemic. That forced a real rethink about what their ambitions were, what was realistic, what could they chase without putting the club in real risk. And as a result, I think over the last couple of years, Brendan wanted that refresh of players, fresh ears as, as much as fresh legs. So, you know, players that he could work with again. Some of those players in that squad had gone stale. Some had stopped listening. He wanted to move them on. And he was quite public in in, in many ways and in, in getting that point across, which did cause a few problems uh, within his camp. You know, there was a, a section of those players who thought, well, he doesn't want me. He's trying to get me out or and he's, he's telling the media that he doesn't want me. And he needed to get them out and they couldn't do it. So he, he almost had his hands tied this season. But I, I, I found from watching him and seeing him and, and listening to him every week, his demeanour changed this season. He felt it felt like he he wanted to move on as well. I know a couple of clubs have come in for him in the past and he stayed loyal to Leicester. I think when Newcastle was the one that was the last uh, muted to me, uh, sounded him out, I think he might regret not have taken that opportunity then because I think you could see that there was problems ahead. In fact, he was talking this season about just reaching 40 points and what a challenge it was going to be. Stu, has he just stayed there too long? Yes. I mean, I remember going along to the opening press conference of the season and, and, and making a, a number of calls. I was writing a piece at the time about Leicester's complete lack of transfer activity that summer and um, last summer. And I just felt Brendan should have walked. I know it sounds like it's with the benefit of hindsight now and not walked and thrown his toys out the pram or anything like that. I just think it had come to a natural end then. Those comments he made to that FA Cup game, Rob, the, the Forest match were, were really pretty scathing, weren't they? You know, that's why a lot of these players aren't top players because they can't sustain it. We need a healthy shake-up. If you're going to say things like that, you need to be able to follow it up in the summer. And obviously at that time, we can only assume he thought he was going to be able to do that before the end of the season though he realized he wasn't going to be able to do that you know for the reasons Rob said with the financial situation at Leicester and then I think it becomes really really hard to go to those same players and say oh can you go for me again this season when they know how he feels about them so not many managers do walk do they for obvious reasons there's you know a lot of money you're going to lose but I think looking at it now that would have been the best decision that Brendan could have made it was gone past that three-year stage it had all gone stale he wasn't going to have a chance to to go again with it and and to refresh everything and and in a way now you know I guess Leicester and and Brendan to an extent if if um paid a price for that but again I agree with Ollie you can't you've got to look at it in the bigger picture you know yes it was both those seasons Leicester seemed to throw away Champions League qualification because it was in their hands he lost three out the last four which is remarkable that it happened twice but they finished above Arsenal and Tottenham in both those seasons football isn't played on the balance sheet but you know they're miles off those clubs in terms of the finances so Leicester were punching above their weight I think we always have to be careful that we don't because of that unbelievable title triumph that was so out of sync you know the best story I'll ever report on in terms of club football for sure magical but what we're seeing is you know Leicester over time going back to their more natural position and you know financially those figures Rob mentioned in terms of uh, wages to, to, to revenue ratio is just completely unsustainable and and actually going forward now I look at it Rob you did a piece a couple of weeks ago with Kieran Maguire I think talking about it it's really really alarming thinking what championship football could look like for for Leicester and I guess that 
leads into why in the end they've they've made the decision they have. They've probably stayed with Brendan longer than a lot of other clubs would have done in these circumstances because form has been so bad post-World Cup. But they had to make a change. But but what is that change, I guess, at the minute, Rob? You know, it's still Brendan's old staff there. Who's their Lampard? Well, that's it, see? I mean, uh, if they don't get that bounce against Bournemouth, I think they'll be looking to bring in an interim. But who do you bring in? It's got to be somebody with experience, somebody who's been in these situations before. I know Rafa Benitez has been mentioned... And I think they're a little bit reluctant on that one. You know, Sam Allardyce has been mentioned. There's, uh, they could look abroad if they want to, but it, it, that's the half the problem for them. They don't want to to make that move now. They want to give Sadler and Stowell the opportunity to get that bounce because if they bring somebody in, there's no guarantees and there's going to be a settling in period. There's going to be a familiarisation period, but they do need that experience of somebody. But who do they bring in? They want to wait until the summer to make the permanent appointment because they, they think they'll have more options then. I mean, Graham Potter is top of their list but he's not going to dive straight back into uh, into the shark pool at this stage of the season especially with Leicester's future C- certainly hanging by a thread at the moment in the Premier League uh, and, and so, uh, all the other candidates that they would like Thomas Frank that they would fancy none of them are going to swap what they've got at the moment to come to, to Leicester so it's really a slim pickings and the really sad thing about it is this isn't part of a strategy if it was, they would have got rid of Rogers a lot earlier and had somebody lined up, but they didn't. They reacted to the Palace defeat when they saw the bounce of Roy Hodgson's return, the atmosphere in the stadium, the reaction of the players, and thought, we're going to have a bit of that, but they haven't got a plan for who they want to bring in. Ollie, just going back to Brendan Rogers' reputation, we've mentioned about some of the clubs who were, uh, he's been linked with in the past. Rob mentioned Newcastle before. David Ornstein's reported previously that Arsenal asked about him before they appointed Unai Emery, which is a few years ago now but again speaks to the top clubs having an eye on on Rodgers do you think after a little bit of time has passed and and Brendan's had that refresh that he talked about uh, in his statement the other day do you think he'll be viewed slightly differently than than right now at this moment yeah I I would say he's somebody who if other clubs are looking to appoint other Premier League clubs are looking to appoint in the summer and maybe he wouldn't get one of those top six jobs Spurs or Chelsea whatever but I think beyond that I think he would absolutely be in, in demand but I also feel he's probably his sights are probably high having having managed Liverpool managed Celtic managed Leicester and taken them to FA Cup and got them to you know he probably wouldn't be sort of looking at a West Ham if that comes up or a, or a I don't know Crystal Palace he'd probably have his sights higher and I think that's difficult because I don't think he's he's going to get a job that would be much better than that at the moment and I think had he had he gone to Newcastle I, it was funny Rob mentioning that I think a lot of people would have said at the time that his stock was a lot higher than Eddie Howe's because similarly people dismissed Eddie Howe as oh the guy who got Bournemouth relegated everyone just judges managers on the on the, the, the most recent remember. thing they've done which is yeah. generally get sacked and I think had he gone there then I think he would have done a really good job I don't know if he would have done as, as good a job as Eddie Howe has done because that to me is extreme but I think he would have done a really good job and I think he probably regrets it because I think I think he's I think he's looked like somebody over the last 18 months I remember sitting next to Robert at a game at a Villa last season where they went 1-0 up and lost 2-1 and it just it, it all looked really stale then and if you'd said to me that they their results would sort of continue to 
sort of stagnate and a couple of you know a couple of bad months and then a couple of good weeks couple of bad months couple of good weeks you'd have thought well he'd, he'd be well out of that long before april 2023 but it's look, i i think i think he would be a really sensible appointment for almost any premier league club and i also think he's got a range of skills including linguistic where he could where he could happily work abroad now it would be good to see him do that because i i do i do think he's clearly a very very good coach he does tick the boxes as well doesn't he mentioned linguistics there he is a good communicator you know his teams have played attractive football um, he's got the experience of, of managing at big clubs he's won things as well uh, or he's won something in the FA yeah, Cup yeah. I mean what's not to like in a way I suppose he also develops young players and you look at James Madison's development J- James Madison had, was already there was kind of a bit hot and cold under or lukewarm and cold under Claude Puel you know you look at how he developed Raheem Sterling at Liverpool look at I mean Luis Suarez at Liverpool would, would, would be an extreme example Daniel Sturridge at Liverpool Jordan Henderson at Liverpool all the players at Celtic players at Leicester it's it's to me there have been so many players who have who have benefited from him in normally in those first couple of years in a job I don't think many pay, players at Leicester have moved forward over the last 12 months but that just I think that just reflects that whether it's him or whether it's Leicester post-Covid and the financial challenges etc I think I think he needed to move on but I think you can see him as somebody who you know if, if people are insisting on damning Lampard as a complete disaster and you know what's he ever won what's he you know all of that which I think is unfair I think you can look at Brendan Rodgers and say well he develops young players he's got a very distinct style which works he has won things he's won the FA Cup at Leicester which is very difficult to do he's he won everything domestically at, at Celtic which I don't care what people say isn't that easy to do Swansea promoted Liverpool almost within, you know, within whatever it was, two, three points for the league title where nobody expected it. I think he's clearly a really, really good manager and he just needs to show that he hasn't gone stale. I think he went stale at Leicester, but he needs to show that in his next job, he's he's still fresh and enthusiastic. He's he's, he's only 50. Shu, how would you... How, how would you compare him to you know the latest flavour of the months ac- across European football in terms of, of that freshness? Um, the Zerbi at Brighton is impressed. Uh, Unai Emery even back at Aston Villa, back in the Premier League, sorry, at Aston Villa. Uh, Ruben Amarim, Marcel Gallardo, Raul. There's, there's lots of, of managers who seem to be showing like they could be the next big thing. How do you compare Rodgers' appeal to, to people like that? Do you put him in that bracket or or not? I think he deserves to be in that bracket, but I think there becomes the risk of sounding a bit like Sam Allardyce many years ago um, because he's not a foreign name. I, I do think we're harsh on the British managers. I think, like, like you know, Potter now, I see some like scathing criticism of Potter. It, again, it talks to Ollie's point. It's almost like the 12 years that have gone before are relevant because he's had a really tough seven months at Chelsea. Um, and that means he's a bad manager now. It doesn't. You know, likewise with, with Eddie Howe, a lot of people were really, really sceptical when he went to, to Newcastle. And you know, is, he, is he good enough to sort of take a club forward in that way? Was Bournemouth his level? And then I think we're in that territory with, with, with Brendan Rodgers too. You know, you're right, he, t- he ticks an awful lot of boxes. I, I'd be fascinated if he... I spoke to someone in the week about the possibility of him going to Spain. Like, obviously, he was learning Spanish years ago. And But, you know, the point that was made to me was that unless you're getting one of the really, really big jobs there is not going to pay that much you know and so there has to be a different motivation then to go to La Liga and think do you know what I want to step away from the Premier League I want to do something completely different and test myself in a new environment different culture etc uh, I think he will have job offers but uh, this summer in the Premier League I, he isn't going to get one of the top six posts and this sounds cruel and almost harsh but I think he won't get one unless say Tottenham's search for a manager goes on like it did a couple of years ago and everything they try doesn't happen 
And that seems almost unfair on Brendan, I'm saying that. I think if it had been a year or two ago, maybe after the FA Cup triumph in 2021 when Tottenham were looking then, it might have been different. But it is all about timing. And unfortunately, the timing at the minute for, for Brendan Rodgers in terms of what has happened at, his, at Leicester the last 12 months, 18 months, isn't good. And that will that will sort of affect how, how he's seen, I think, by, by other clubs. And I think those ones that mentioned are more re- realistic. You know, who knows what's going to happen with West Ham now. That, for me, would seem to be the sort of type of job that Brendan would get in the Premier League. I don't think at this moment in time he's going to get anything above that. And if he did go in there, I'd back him to do really, really well, to do all the things that he said he'll do, to make players better, to bring young players through to coach a team really, really well. But yeah, the the top six, which is clearly what he's wanted to do for a bit. I think a while ago, he might have been, you know, thinking of, you know, what even happens at Man City in the future. But that is a while ago, Ian. We're not talking like, you know, the, the last year or so. So yeah, there's a bit of a reset there for Brendan. Um, but I'm sure we'll see him, you know, back in the Premier League soon. That feels like a good place to leave it. Thank you so much, Rob, Stu and Ollie for looking back at that. Remember, keep an eye out for Rob's piece on what's gone wrong for Brendan Rodgers at Leicester, which will be dropping on The Athletic, and of course the very latest on Frank Lampard as well, which we started the podcast with. There is that offer on at the moment, £1 a month for 12 months by signing up at theathletic.com forward slash football pod. But for the minute, thank you for listening, and we'll see you on the next one. Bye-bye. The Athletic.